Morning again, everyone. I'm going to stash some hot tea up here. Hope you'll forgive that. I uh, have the current Reynolds plague, apparently. Um, only one of my family to make it here this morning, as most of you have seen. Um, so you may be getting a bit of a sermon concentrate this morning. We'll see how it goes. This morning, we're beginning a series of lessons that I'm calling Amazing Stories of Simple Obedience. Emphasis on the simple part. There are a lot of times in Scripture where the simple things are sometimes the most overlooked. And they're certainly the the least followed because they seem so simple. And so when I, I think about our obedience, the things that we do because of what we believe. I can't help but think about how often we say to ourselves, you know, if I just had more, if I just had more money, well then I could be more generous and I could give more, I could help others more. If I just had more time, well then I could really serve. I could really go and and meet those needs that I see around me. If I just had the gift of fill-in-the-blank there, whatever gift is noticeable to you, if I could just sing or, or teach, or if I had some, some gift of doing something you know, obvious in public, well, then I could be more a part of, of the church that, that I attend, and I could, I could do more, and I could minister more. We look at the heroes of faith as we so often call them over in Hebrews chapter 11, we see this list that honestly can be a little bit intimidating. Now, I'm not going to read through all of the things that are done, but it talks about, you know, by faith, Abel, and by faith, Enoch, by faith, Noah, and then Abraham, and, you know, Joseph, and, and Jacob, Moses. And go, the list goes on and on. These great heroes of faith, and by faith, what they did for God. And sometimes we look at those stories and we just say, Oh, if I just had more faith, if I just had more, well, then I could live like that. If I just had more faith, then I could do these amazing things that these great men and women of God through history have done. We convince ourselves that we need more to do something. But I look at a story like that of, of Naaman. And I really wish I had this book. I found a picture of the book cover. The Quality Religious Books for Children series, The Man Who Took Seven Baths. I mean, I just, I can't, I, that's got to be a good book. But... <laughs> But we see the story of Naaman, whether we see it in the children's book or we read it in Scripture, and look at that story, and that challenges that assumption for me. That if I just had more faith, then I could do what God calls me to do. And we saw a piece, read a piece of that story in our reading this morning, but it's really, in a lot of ways, a very strange story. Because... As the beginning of 1 Kings chapter 5 tells us, Naaman wasn't just some guy in Israel. No. 
He was a commander of the army of the king of Aram. It says he was a great man in the sight of his master and highly regarded because through him the Lord had given victory to Aram. He was a valiant soldier, but he had leprosy. Now here's where it gets strange. Now bands of raiders from Aram had gone out and had taken captive a young girl from Israel. And she served Naaman's wife. She said to her mistress, If only my master would see the prophet who was in Samaria, he would cure him of his leprosy. Interesting thing to say to your captor, (laughs) to the one who had led the armies that had raided your people and taken you into captivity, and say, hey, that disease that my master has, well, there's a prophet in that land that, you know, you raided. They could heal him. So Naaman went to his master and told him what the girl from Israel had said. By all means, go, the king of Aram replied. So Naaman left, taking with him ten talents of silver, 6,000 shekels of gold and 10 sets of clothing. And the letter he took to the king of Israel read, With this letter I am sending my servant Naaman to you, so that you may cure him of his leprosy. Now that's been a really strange sight, to see this commander of an army that had been raiding your land coming, ba- coming back again. That must have been incredibly frightening for the king of Israel, but coming with a letter in hand, saying, No, I'm not here to raid and to pillage and to take captives. I'm here to seek healing. Now, when the king reads this letter, of course, he doesn't know what to think. In fact, he tears his robes and says, Am I God? Can I kill and bring back to life? Why does this fellow send someone to me to be cured of his leprosy? See how he's trying to pick a quarrel with me. (laughs) He thinks that this other king is just trying to pick a fight. He's sending him this commander of this army, asking him to do this thing that's well beyond his power just so when he fails, there'll be another excuse for war, another excuse for destruction. But that's not what really is going on. When Elijah hears what's going on, he sends word to the king. Say, like, why are, why are you upset? Just send him to me. And so he goes, and we have the reading that, uh, that we took a look at earlier. Naaman comes to Elijah's door, and Elijah doesn't even go out. He, he sends his servant, he sends a messenger, and he says, oh, just go dip yourself in the Jordan seven times. Go wash yourself seven times. You'll be clean. You're good. Now, Naaman isn't real thrilled with this. You see, he was expecting something grand. He's an important man, after all. It's a, don't you know who I am kind of situation. I'm the commander of this mighty army. I was here raiding and taking captives not too long ago. You should show me a little more respect. I mean, I thought, surely this man of God would come out and make some sort of show calling upon the name of his God and and some amazing thing would happen. But he's just telling me to do this little thing. doesn't seem worthy of me. We look at that and we don't say, oh, Naaman, you need more faith. You need more faith so that you can obey. No, that's not what we say. Because, see, clearly Naaman had enough faith to go to the man of God. He had enough faith to go to the prophet. But when it came time to act, that's when the backpedaling began. He really just needed to obey what faith had brought him to. But instead, 
I don't know, maybe it was stubbornness. Maybe it was a man who was used to being in control that was just uncomfortable with these unmet expectations, saying, okay, no, 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 I came to you for healing, but you're not giving it to me on my terms, so I don't know about this. I look at this story, and it's a little frustrating to look at because I know it reflects all too well the lies of obedience so many of us live. Because I'm convinced that most of the time, we don't need more faith. We need more obedience. Because see, we, most of us, at least those of us who are here this morning, we have enough faith to come to God. But then we expect Him to be a lot like us. We expect Him to meet and live up to our expectations on what His call on our lives would be. And when the call to obey gets outside of our expectation and gets outside of our comfort, we can just start to say to ourselves, well, when I'm more mature in my faith, yeah, I'll get there someday. When, when I'm stronger in my faith, when I've had time to grow into this, when I have more faith, well, then I can do all those things that God has said to do. And so we obey God as far as obedience means doing the things we would have done anyway. The things that make sense to us, the things that we agree with, the things that are comfortable for us, the things that meet our own expectations. And I'm sorry, but that's not obedience. When we only do the things that God has called us to that we would have done anyway, well, that's just clothing the worship of self in some Christian terminology. That's just feeling good about our own preferences because a few of them line up with the will of God. And so we can feel even better about doing what we probably would have done anyway. Obedience takes us outside of our expectations, outside of our comfort, into places that are a little more wild than we might be comfortable with. Over in Luke chapter 17, there's a a cry that I think is familiar to us in a lot of ways. The apostles said to the Lord, increase our faith. Sounds like a good request, doesn't it? Increase our faith, Lord. But Jesus being Jesus, knows what they really mean by that. They say they want more faith, but the way their faith had been growing as far as they were concerned was by some amazing things that had been happening, amazing displays of power. And in fact, it was definitely not above the apostles to ask for that power themselves. At one point, they even asked for the power to call down fire from the heavens. And Jesus gives them a really interesting response. He said, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mulberry tree, be uprooted and planted in the sea and it'll obey you. That's kind of weird. (laughs) I can't help but think that Jesus is being more than a little bit annoyed with his disciples here. Being a little bit more than frustrated with these apostles. 
saying, guys, you want the flash. You want the show. I mean, if you had even the smallest faith, that'd be plenty to make great things and amazing things happen. And in fact, he gives an example of something that's kind of absurd because all the miracles of Christ, well, they were for the good of those he loved. You know, taking a mulberry tree, even this lovely one painted by Van Gogh here, you take that, you plant that in the sea, that doesn't help anybody. I heard in a, was reading a, a discussion of this passage not too long ago that highlighted how Jesus takes this frustration and their desire for power and for flash, and then he redirects it immediately into like, no, no, no. It's not about that you need more faith. Let's talk about what you need to do. He goes immediately from that to saying, suppose one of you has a servant plowing or looking after the sheep. Will he say to the servant when he comes in from the field, come now and sit down to eat? Won't he rather say, prepare my supper, get yourself ready and wait on me while I eat and drink? After that, you may eat and drink. Will he thank the servant because he did what he was told to do? So you also, when you have done everything you were told to do, should say, we are unworthy, unworthy servants. We have only done our duty. You see, the disciples, these apostles, and in some ways, they wanted that amazing show of power. Not too unlike what Jesus had already rejected in his own temptations before his ministry began, when Satan tells him, oh, just cast yourself down from the high point of the temple, and as the angels protect you and lift you up, everyone's going to see who you are. Won't that be the easy way to getting people to believe? Just give them the flash. Give them the show. Jesus says, that's not what you need if you're going to follow me. You need to recognize that your servant's And you're simply doing your duty if you obey. It's not more faith that you need. It's not more power that you need. You simply need to do what you've already been called to do. There's a couple of passages in Scripture that I think are twins in many ways. In Ephesians 2.8, when we're told that we're saved by grace through faith, and then over in James 2.26, reminds us that faith without works, is dead. We're not saved through the things that we have done, no. We're not saved by any great feat for God. We're saved by the grace of God and through a great feat of Christ and His sacrifice on the cross. We can't minimize that. I don't want to minimize that. It's not fundamentally about us. But through that faith, in that great God, even the small faith that we may possess. Our faith must lead us to obedience. Our faith must lead us to action. Because faith without works, faith that doesn't do anything, isn't a faith that's alive. When we put a wall of separation between our faith, the things that we believe, the things that we claim the ideas that we agree to and say, yeah, I think that's right. If we put a wall between those things and the way we live our everyday lives, I can't help but think that we completely miss the point. It was a long time in my own life, and I've told my own story many times, many of you are familiar with it, but there was a long, I mean, growing up in the church, I knew all the stuff I was supposed to know. But it was an awfully long time before I actually took hold of it and acted on it 
and actually did something with the things that I had learned. And I don't think I really began to believe them until I began to do them. And I'm pretty convinced that if you're here today, if you're sitting in a church building on a Sunday morning, and it's probably not the first time you've been here, you probably know what you need to do. I probably don't need to tell you what needs to be done. You probably don't need more faith. You probably just need to act upon the faith that brought you here today. You need to be like Naaman and actually act upon, in obedience, the faith that brought you to God. Now, I've said it before, and I'm sure I'll say it again. But I'm convinced that I only really believe the parts of the Bible that I actually do, that I actually live. I can't say that I believe some part of Scripture and not let that affect the way that I lead my day-to-day lives. And the truly heartbreaking part about that for me is that I know that there are so many times in my life that I have settled for less than full obedience. And I know if there are so many times in my own life that I have just settled for less than full obedience and said, yeah, I know that's what I should do and maybe someday I will. Maybe when I'm stronger, maybe when I'm more mature. If I think about all the times I've done that in my own life, I can't help but think that I'm probably not alone. And I just wonder what we've missed out on. What have we missed out on because we said, oh, those things God's called us to do, won't it be great when we get there? Won't it be great when we get to the point where we can really live what we say we believe? Instead of saying, let's live them today and see what God does. One of the most I think quotable Christian authors of the last century, A.W. Tozer, said, The miracle follows the plow. I love that line. The miracle follows the plow. And I go back to all those Hebrews 11 heroes that we think about, where we are so tempted to look at them and think, Oh, if I just had faith as strong as theirs, I could do these great things for God. When I really look at them, I see that their lives don't tell me that a great faith can do great things. That's not the message of their lives. The message of their lives is that even a small faith in a great God can do anything. It was when each of these heroes of faith, these people all through Scripture and throughout Christian history, people that I hope have intersected your own life in our own time, The people that have done great things for God, it isn't because their faith was so great. It was because they put their mustard seed-sized faith into action. They let their belief lead them to doing. Let their belief, their faith, lead them to obedience. And that was enough to open the door for God to do something great. So I just want to challenge you, if you have even the smallest faith today, even if you think your faith is as small as that tiny little mustard seed, don't wait for it to get bigger. Don't wait for that faith to grow before you act on it. Take that small faith today and bring it to the foot of the cross and see what God can do 
with your willingness to obey this morning. If there's any way that we can help you in your obedience, if there's any way that we can help you take that small faith and bring it to the cross, if there's anything we can do for you as a church, please come and let us know while we stand, while we sing.